What is up, people of the Musicverse? Welcome to the first episode of Earbreak here on the Anacreates podcast, or at least that's what I'm calling this series. This is my show where I just kind of talk shop, talk casual, uh, shoot the shit, answer questions, and basically just chat about music making with you guys. Uh, I have different segments that I want to bring on this show. I want, I have different kind of co-hosts, a rotating cast of characters that I want to bring on here as well, just to kind of talk about music creation and different things related to it, uh, getting really into the weeds and also answering basic questions as well and all that kind of stuff. So uh, this week, we have a few different things I want to talk about. First off, we have the recap of my YouTube video for February uh, that just came out, my first YouTube video back. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about that. I have some questions to answer, which is something that I want to do a lot more on this show is answer questions for specifics to do with the videos or just general questions that I get a lot or see a lot or questions I see throughout the internet that I want to give my two cents on. We have Peter Gabriel's new mix to talk about because... There are two different mixers and two different versions of the song, but two A-list mixers. So it's very interesting uh, to compare those two and what that kind of shows us about mixing. And then we have a series that I'm calling uh, so far Over Under. So you can kind of guess what that is, but it's rating over underrated loved hated all that kind of stuff that is a title in workshop at the moment as well but you can submit your own questions uh, or things that you find interesting that you want my two cents on that i can add to the show you can go and submit those at anacreates.ca slash podcast or through twitter or anywhere else without further ado let's dive into it So the first thing that I want to talk about is my new YouTube video uh, from February. And so, yeah, um, I'm back on YouTube, which is exciting. Back on the podcast, which is also exciting. Uh, and I'm very, yeah, it's a brand new series uh, on the channel, which is also going to be kind of the flagship video of the channel, I guess you could say. And that is creative challenges. And uh, I just, I needed something different. You've, you've probably noticed if you're, if you follow me on YouTube, you've noticed I've taken a little bit of a break for the past number of months. Um, and that is because I just wasn't satisfied with my content. It wasn't sustaining me, uh, fulfilling me, uh, as much as I'd hoped. I just needed a different thing and I needed something different out of the channel. So what came out of that is these creative challenges where I get to put my technical knowledge to the test and also push the boundaries of what I know and how I make music because I, ever since I left the studio, ever since I don't work with different engineers every day, like most people don't, but I was very privileged. I got to work with different engineers all the time, which means I would constantly see new bits of information and new things that people were doing and new things that people were trying. So I would learn through all of that. When you're on your own and you're creating by yourself, you don't have that influx of information. So you have to go out and seek it for yourself. And I do, but I needed to put it to the test. I like things with a, a project with kind of a goal. Now with client projects, I can't do a lot of experimentation all the time because I have to deliver it in a timely manner that they need in budget, all that kind of stuff. So there's only so much, um, experimentation and really pushing your own boundaries that I can do with that kind of work. But 
with these YouTube videos now, I get to do it in a project that is coming out, so there's pressure, but at the same time, it's less pressure because it's not a client piece of work, it's me just doing it for fun. And the whole goal is to have fun and push my creative boundaries and skills and knowledge. And for this, I wanted to try a technique in this, and I spent two hours watching videos on YouTube trying to figure it out when I was mixing. So... I love that. I just love those kind of things and that being able to incorporate that into what I do and showcase that to you guys and help you guys learn so you can be like I was watching other engineers. You can watch me and learn from me along with a ton of other engineers on the internet, um, obviously, and, and everywhere. But I think it's just I'm trying to well explain it so you can learn how I do things and also how other people do things. So that is the goal of the YouTube videos. And I'm very excited to be back with them. So, um, yeah, the goal for this one, the creative challenge, there was a couple of different things. One was to try and make a song that sounded like Daft Punk and also punk, which was kind of fun because I come from the more punk rock realm. Uh, and I don't know a lot about Daft Punk. I actually got my eyes opened quite a bit to Daft Punk's uh, catalog, frankly, while researching this, because I just knew kind of the singles, which I was like, oh man, these are not the most uh, fruitful. Uh, they don't change a lot. There's a lot of loops, uh, the same thing for a lot of time. Like Around the World has one line the whole time. So, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but learning a bit more about what they use, the synths and that kind of stuff, it was very interesting. Um, and then the other part of the creative challenge was the time crunch. I had to do it in a, a very limited amount of time. Frankly, the, the whole point of this is I want to put out a video like this roughly every month. Obviously, some months are busier with client work, uh, but the goal is to be able to kind of keep putting these out. Um, so with that comes the fact that these need to be done in a few days, frankly. Um, so with this one, it did, it was about two and a half to three days to write, uh, the song from the, just, that's what I did for about three days. And then some mixing, uh, stuff, a couple days of mixing those, that's a little bit less mixing kind of, I do in chunks. So I do a few hours at a time, uh, just because I need to step away from it. Um, but it still was in the vein of, I need to finish this within the week i don't have i can't sit on this for a week and then come back to it um so there was that the drums i sent them to malcolm and it was like whatever he gives me i'm gonna kind of take uh and i knew he'd do a good job but it was like I'm not, we're not doing back and forth and back and forths on these drums they're just they are what they are this is kind of the point to work with what you're given and work with what you can create in a time crunch so to speak and the vocals same thing i was writing the lyrics with the AI uh, and this working on the lyrics and then singing them. And I would work on them, sing it. Okay, verse one's done. Work on it, work on verse two, sing it. It was very in the moment. It didn't have a lot of time to double think, uh, overthink things, which was, I think, it was very freeing, actually. Uh, I was amazed at how freeing it was. So I highly encourage you to try that uh, for yourself, if you're a creator. Just try do us do a, a song in a day or two and just that's what it is it doesn't have to come out you don't have to like actually but go through the process of creating something to learn you learn a lot better with some of those kind of restrictions i talked to a friend of mine uh emmett o'reilly who's been on the show and he talked about even in his podcast episode he was doing a kind of a song a day thing for a while and he learned a lot from that and this is kind of not song in a day because i maybe that'll be a challenge at some point but I can't quite do that yet, but that's kind of the goal is to be able to produce things and create things even faster than I'm used to. I'm used to a longer process. I've been lucky to do that um, for most of my career is very quick uh, or very not quick longer 
amounts of time making records for a year um, or or longer. Not all of them are like that, but you know what I mean? I've had that kind of freedom and this is to to also helps with that a little bit, I think, which is, is really cool. So a couple of uh, fun parts about the, the video that I really enjoyed was um, first off the vocoder. I have never really used a vocoder for my own stuff before, and I found it really fun. I did make a newbie mistake. I've used vocoders before, but I made a newbie mistake where I kind of forgot that it takes the melody completely out. So when I made the audio for the vocoder itself, I sang the melody, and I was singing the uh, Around the World melody from Daft Punk with my lyrics. And I thought, oh, this is what's going to help tie it to Daft Punk really well. I was I was ripping it off blatantly, um, but that's kind of the point. Um but then I would play, I played these other chords with it and I was like, oh, this sounds beautiful. And in my head, I was hearing the melody plus these new chords until I realized that the vocoder takes the melody right out of the thing. And you're, if you know anything about vocoders, you're probably going, yeah, of course, that's the point. Well, yeah, exactly. And I totally, totally had a brain fart and didn't realize that till about half an hour in going, man, it doesn't really sound like, why doesn't it sound like around the world? What's going on? Well, <laughs> that's why. Um... So that was, yeah, fun, but I really enjoyed using the vocoder and I think I'm going to use more of it, uh, coming in future things to kind of play with it more as an instrument and a background thing, less than uh, not as much as the lead vocal, like I did in this one, because I wanted that Daft Punk sound. So, um, very fun and, and, uh, a different set of creative tools, which I just don't normally do. Same with the synths that I, I used. I need to get better at using synths. Frankly, I use a lot of synths, but I don't really know how to use them that well. Um, so this was a, a good, fun thing where I was like, okay, I'm sitting down to learn the Juno 106, Archuria V6 or whatever it is called, um, the Juno, because I've never really sat down. I pick presets and I just leave it. Uh, but this was a bit more of like, let me let me try some stuff. So that was a lot of fun. Another fun thing for this one was the horn solo. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> I don't play horns and I don't know anybody that plays horns. So for this one, because of the turnaround time, I didn't hire somebody or I thought about it, but, um, what I did is I actually thought of this idea for a horn solo on the bridge while I was walking and I literally recorded it on my voice notes, an idea for this, like a humming thing. And then I came back to the studio and I recorded vocals uh, and literally hummed my thoughts and made a solo humming it. Then I went into the actual horn plugin. And uh, for that, I, I used um, contact session horns. It's just kind of the main horn thing that comes with it. That was one of the questions later on, but I'll answer it now. Um, the horn thing, uh, it's the session horns library, which does a good job. It has different articulations and all that stuff. But once I had it kind of the, the solo written, because I can't play the solo on a synth even. Um, so I hummed it, made it, crafted what I wanted it to do so that it was a fun solo that built and all that kind of stuff. Then when I went in to program the horn solo, I could worry about or work on the uh, the articulations that the, the library gives me and learn how to use the library better to make it sound better instead of worrying about what the solo actually was. So that was actually really fun. And then I just kind of matched the, the notes with what I had hummed and altered some that didn't work but yeah um i use that often for guitars I, I think i showed that in the video too doing the lead guitars in that way where i hum something and kind of record it and then actually figure out how to play it but you quickly get the idea down with your mouth and then move on so that was a lot of fun and something that i think more people should use or maybe don't realize that that is the case that it exists so um i was working on a record one time where we did the guitar solo with the 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 drummer was just 
singing away and he did the the guitar solo as a kind of a placeholder but then when it came down to it that we liked it so much that we mimicked it with the lead guitar so the guitar solo was doing what the vocal melody that he wrote was and then we left them both in so we put this this vocal melody through uh, guitar amps and distortion and and messed it all up but it mimicked the guitar or we mimicked the guitar based on the vocal matched them up and that you hear both on the record so really fun and sometimes that also is a thing you can't really tell it's a voice uh in the end you kind of can but not overly it's not overly obvious um but yeah a lot of fun a lot of fun uh so definitely people should try some of that stuff as well so with that moving on to some technical questions and the first one actually has to do with the drums and that is what are the drums what are the sounds that i used for the drums so i used uh matt grainer drumforge grainer uh which is a new plugin that drumforge came up with i love drumforge stuff they're really bad with cpu they they crash a lot so they're not really good for writing um but they do sound good and they give a lot of options. So I really like them for mixing and for final drums sounds, but they are just hogs on CPU. I find Malcolm and I both got this library. So we, we can just pass back and forth presets. So we used this one cause we both recently got it and tried it out and thought it would work. So we used that. And then I also added, uh, my own samples on kick and snare, uh, which hint, hint, if you're listening to this, is a pack that I'm coming out with with Malcolm where we we sampled his kit uh, and we're making um, an instrument for that. So that's coming. That is coming soon. It'll be linked in the show notes as well once it comes out uh, and on the video. But yeah, we have our own pack coming. So Malcolm's signature kit is on its way and I used the test versions of the trigger presets for this uh, alongside Drumforge Grainer. Next, I had a question about the guitar. How do you like your telly? Uh, from a fellow guitar player who is thinking about a Telecaster. I love my telly. It's been my workhorse for years. It's a telly. It sounds like a telly, and it kind of does what a telly does. You're not going to make it sound without a lot of work uh, like a PRS or a Gibson or something like that. Um, but they do amazing. They sound fantastic, especially for like rock stuff like this. I've been using it for years. I use it a lot for leads right now uh, and kind of that extra crunch on the top and the clarity for rhythms. Uh, and then my main bigger rhythm sounds is my baritone that I use as well. If you're thinking about getting one, it's not an it's not necessarily an and or if you have kind of something else already that you like or a rhythm sound. Um it's an, a good addition. I wouldn't say it's a replacement necessarily. If it's your first guitar, great. It is a good workhorse, but I don't think it's a replacement to what you have because you're not going to get the same tones as you have with something else um, necessarily. So the telly does great work. It's really nice to play personally. I love it. Um, and they just, it just has a very signature, unique sound that just works for a lot of different stuff and you can do a lot with it. It's just very clear. So yeah, I love my telly uh, and its name's Crispy Chicken. I got that when I'm working on the Billy Talent record and it's stuck ever since because it's it's yellow. <laughs> so crispy chicken is awesome. All right, moving on next. Some other questions here. Can you record commercial level vocals through an SM7? I mean, yes, frankly, that's what I record most of my vocals through. You do have to work on it a little bit. I have a cloud lifter th style thing that I built uh, from DIYer that uh, is amazing. And uh, just to boost the level a bit, you need some, maybe some top end on it. It does need some of that kind of stuff, but it does give you a pretty good vocal sound for rock. It gives you a great vocal sound. If you're looking for 
a beautiful, airy, female vocal, then probably not. Uh, that kind of thing isn't isn't really what it does. Uh, but it is really good at at handling really heavy vocals, screaming. Uh, a lot of SPL. It's really good at handling handling that kind of stuff. Uh, I've recorded a number of records through SM7s um, that are uh, massive records, and uh, even S- uh, f- 58s. Honestly, some of those make big records. So, yeah, it's just comfy to sing through and, and works well capturing that kind of stuff right out of the gate. You do need to do some manipulation, especially with the top end, but overall, the SM7 is, is really, 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 really good for vocals. Uh, next is... The, do the gauge of strings make a difference for recording? And also the follow-up to that is do picks make a difference for recording? Gauge of strings, I use thick strings personally, and I just love them. The reason I got into them was because they sounded thicker and bigger for recording. And also they just stay in tune better. When you strum them, they don't get wobbled out of tune as quickly. So I like thicker strings because of that. Um, but at the end of the day, it's whatever you are comfortable playing. If you're not comfortable playing really, really thick strings, then don't. But just know that you're going to have to work harder for the tuning, and when you grip the chords and stuff like that, you can't be pulling the chords as much, uh, the strings as much, because they will go out of tune a lot faster than thicker strings are harder to pull. So, especially for me with lower tunings, it has to be higher gauge strings uh, to keep them at all in tune when you strum it. But I think the bigger thing is when you're strumming, you're not going all out when you're recording. You are strumming lightly. You're trying to work it a little bit more finesse into your playing, not like you're doing a live show. That's what's going to keep it in tune regardless of your string gauge. Um, but yeah, I just find thicker gauge strings are uh, sound beefier frankly. So I really like them. Uh, guitar picks. A lot of people don't think of guitar picks, but guitar picks do make a big difference for recording. Actually, I use a, a one millimeter pick generally for rhythms. It's thick enough that it just kind of digs into the string and gives a really nice attack, but it's not too thick that it's a, like a brick wall on the strings that doesn't have any give. Uh, too thick, I find, is really tough for that. Maybe lead lead lines can be played with a thicker style um, and not be a pain. But uh, yeah, one millimeter seems to be a great one for that personally. Thinner than that, you start to get too much bend in the pick, so it stays on the string longer and you get more of the before the actual note. So just be aware of that. Their thinner picks are really good for uh, acoustic guitars, I find. It gives you that kind of lush sound when you're strumming an acoustic guitar because you're not about each note as much. But for a really attack, you want the attack in a rhythm guitar, uh, a heavy rhythm guitar, I find thicker picks or one millimeter to be more precise in that range, give you a nice balance of flexibility and and stability for actually just getting a really nice attack and thick sound. So I've done a lot of different tests with different picks, uh, and that's my personally my favorite. And I do really try and push players that I'm working with to do that kind of uh, style if they don't know much uh, to get that kind of gauge to get a better sound. Um, obviously, again, it comes down to how you're comfortable playing, though. So if you're not comfortable playing with a thick pick, then don't. There you go. Get a better performance. Because at the end of the day, a better performance with a not-as-perfect sound is going to be better than a perfect sound, theoretically, with a terrible performance, because it's just going to sound worse. So it's a uh, you have to weigh those options and pick what works, works best for you to get your best performance with the 
best approach to the sound, I guess is the best way to put it. So those are the questions for this week. Next, I want to bring up uh, an interesting article that I found, and that is to do with Peter Gabriel. Now, this was shown to me through a Reddit post. So basically... Peter Gabriel has put out a one new song, and it's, it's, I think it's the first song in 20 years, and he has two different versions of it, the Bright Side Mix and the Dark Side Mix, I believe, are the two things. He's making a whole record with a Dark Side and, a, and the Bright Side, but they're mixed by two different mixers. That's the main thing. I looked through the credits for this song, and it's mastered by the same people, it's engineered by the same people, it's the same song. When you listen to it, it's the same elements, but it's mixed by two different people, and I find this really interesting. Now, the reason this is really interesting is we don't normally get to hear a mix done by two top-tier professional mixers. That does happen behind the scenes. Sometimes they'll give it to a few and pick the best one to then mix the record. But as a forward-facing thing, not a lot of people release two the same song twice with two different mixers. But Peter Gabriel is doing that. So it's a really interesting way for us to see the differences between two different mixers and what they bring to the actual sound. Because I don't think mixers get enough credit half the time for what they bring to the sound. So this is really cool. So the bright side mix, I believe, is being mixed by Spike Stent. Uh, and then the dark side mix is being mixed by Chad Blake. Both top of their field amazing mixers. Now, in the link that is in the show notes, you can go listen to both of them. And I highly encourage this. Go listen to them and listen to them back to back and kind of compare. What do you think? I'm curious as well to hear your thoughts. Which one do you prefer? They're both great mixes. I will say that right out of the gate. They are both good mixes. But which one do you prefer and why? Let me know. Uh, hit me up on Twitter or, or anywhere else. I just, I'm curious because I was talking to a good friend of mine and he thought differently than I did. Uh, he liked uh, Chad's better, and I, I was gravitating more towards Spike's. We didn't disagree on what they each brought, but personally, if I were to say which do I prefer, I was going with Spike. Now, I'm going to tell my opinions. If you don't want my opinion before you, you go do it yourself, then pause and go listen to it or whatever. But I personally found that Spike's was just more glued together and had a much more lush feel, whereas Chad Blake, his did more it had more bold choices but it just was a little less pleasing to my ear and a little more abrasive uh sounding and just it just didn't work for me as much it was more interesting it did more stuff whereas spikes was a little more boring it didn't really do anything with the mix it didn't go anywhere as as much but i was gravitating towards Sp spikes because it just sonically was more pleasing to my ears so go check it out and let me know what you guys think i'm curious this is a a thing that we don't get to have normally so i just definitely i definitely wanted to bring it up to really showcase what mixing can do and and see two a-list mixers kind of head to head i suppose um so yeah next i have a segment called over under at least that's the working title ranking things or saying things over or under hyped loved hated under uh, appreciated all that kind of stuff so I just went with the title over under because it accommodates all of that. So I just picked a few things that I thought would be interesting. And uh, yeah, first off is auto tune over or under to me. It's underappreciated. It's overhated, but it's underappreciated. Uh, the reason I say this is 
it's got a bad name. Autotune has a bad name, but it's not actually a bad product. And it's actually very versatile and sounds really good. Now, there is the autotune sound that people talk about, but that is the extreme use of it. That is the T-Pain use of it, where you just crank it to be as inhuman as possible. That's not the only thing that it does, and I think that's why it gets overhated, is because people think that's all it does. But most of the times, people just don't know how to use it. I use it on almost all of my vocal editing, and it just helps nudge things into place. There is a humanized knob that is turned up all the way. It's not very fast uh, and just makes it more natural sounding, but just bumps things into place. Now, I don't use it exclusively. I don't just throw auto-tune on. I use Melodyne to really do most of the bulk of the editing because it sounds the best to do more heavy-handed editing. But auto-tune has a nice, subtle, just pushing things a little bit more into tune. So if you use it right, auto-tune is, is phenomenal, but I think it gets over-hated because of the fact that it has that kind of first-mover curse, I guess you could say, where people just associate it with bad-sounding vocals like T-Pain, but even T-Pain uses it creatively. If you've heard him actually sing, uh, he's done some non-autotune versions, and he's an amazing singer, which means he's using autotune as a creative endeavor. So Remember that. You still need to be a half-decent singer to get in the range for autotune to work. Um, but I think on that vein, autotune is underappreciated because it's very versatile and does a really good job uh, that can be very subtle if you use it in the right capacity. So autotune, underappreciated. Next, we have Rick Rubin. And to me, he's underappreciated. That's why I put him on the list. Uh, recently, he just came out with a book, which I think I haven't actually read it, but uh, from all the things that I've read about it and I uh, listening to him talk, I, I listened to a interview with him on the Tim Ferriss show and it was absolutely amazing. He's a brilliant, brilliant man. I think that he's underappreciated because he's very creative and he's kind of one of those guys that's just been around for a long time, works with really big bands. But what the way that he thinks about creativity under the hood is just unlike anybody else I've ever talked to. It's really, really cool. So I'm really interested to check out his book. Now, another reason I wanted to bring this up and I think he's underappreciated is because he recently did an interview with 60 Minutes and in that interview they asked him if he he knows how to run a mixing console and all that kind of stuff. And he said he has no technical ability. Now, for a little bit after that, it was kind of running around the internet that he doesn't have technical ability. What kind of producer is this? Blah, 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 blah. Frankly, a lot of hate running around because of that statement. And honestly, what does it matter? He's a producer. He's not a beat maker. He's not a guy who's supposed to be making the music. He's the overarching vision and his vision. And you really hear this. If you listen to the Tim Ferriss uh, episode, you'll get a bit more of a sense of where I'm coming from with this, but he can see the overarching view from the artist. And to me, that's the real craft of producer um, down to its core. I mean, nowadays, yes, there's producer engineers that do all this stuff and, and there's different versions, but hip hop beat makers are not producers in that same sense. So a lot of people I think nowadays think of producers as those beat makers because a lot of that's actually coming out in award shows as well. But anyway, that's a uh, to totally different topic. But the technical ability doesn't have anything to do with it. If he doesn't know how to use a mixing console, that's almost not a disadvantage in a way. When you think about it, he looks at the overarching picture of the band, of the record they're making, of how the record fits with the band, of how the band is jiving with the record, how it fits into their catalog, where they are in their career. Do they need a change? Do they need to stay the same? 
all this kind of stuff, how they're developing as a band. And that takes an overview, and that's what he's really good at, not the technicals of how to make the guitar sound brighter. That's what he has engineers for. He leaves that to his engineers. In a way, it's a, a burden lifted off of him that he doesn't know the technical abilities because he isn't going, oh, that's going to be a lot of work or, oh, that's not possible. He just knows what would be best for the song and then it has to be created that way. And the engineers have to figure out either how or if it's possible or if it's not possible or how to get around it or what's the compromise. Not him. He doesn't have to deal with that. Kind of like the Beatles back in the day where they would like, we want this kind of thing. And then the the technical team would go, well, we that technology doesn't exist. We have to figure it out. That's kind of what, in a way, what Rick is doing as well, where he doesn't have to think about the technical. He just goes, I want this sound, figure out how to accomplish it to his engineers. I think it's really cool. Uh, and I think that that is the, it's just the foundational, fundamental purpose and original uh, production kind of a mentality and he's never needed the technical ability and he's doing great so obviously it's working uh, but I don't think he deserves the hate so in that way when people are hating on him I think he's underappreciated for his brilliance that he has under the hood that's not technical in the same sense it's very different and very intuitive and he's he's just brilliant all around in that regard so I think he's underappreciated for that though so Rick Rubin underappreciated that is my verdict next is award shows uh, specifically the grammys now i think this could be a whole other episode unto itself but i will just touch on this because the grammys happened and so i wanted to bring it up i think that award shows are overrated and overhyped and overdone <laughs> specifically right now the grammys and the reason i say this is i think they've gotten too politically motivated to who knows who kind of a thing there was an article at one point that said something about they were surprised this person didn't win because they know their their father is friends with the guy who is the main grammy guy that shouldn't even be a consideration as to who wins an award it should be about the technical ability or the whatever category they're in that's what dictates if they win or not, how good the record stacks up. The flip side to that coin is that I think it needs to help diversify the uh, the music industry and promote more artists and more records. So, you know, Beyonce got 32 awards now. She's the most decorated uh, Grammy winner in history, I believe, something like that. She took home four awards this year, but there was this big kerfuffle because she didn't win record of the year or something like that she won something else she wins she doesn't win the main award she wins the other awards and i think the other awards are what makes it good that's what makes it interesting now people like beyonce she's very successful she makes a lot of money her music is everywhere people love her she doesn't need much more clout in that regard so it's like okay move aside you've won 32 of these things you won four this time move aside let some other people win let's let us see more different diverse various artists that are up and coming uh i think there should be some maybe some kind of rule that you can't win two years in a row or something like that or you can't win more than two awards in a night or something i don't know now that's never going to happen uh because this is such a big business and it's such a big thing but i just think that the awards have gotten too far away from the real what is good about this record? Why is this record good? Or why is this project good versus who you know? Oh, it's Beyonce. She's got to win because she's Beyonce. That doesn't matter. 
really. That shouldn't matter. And you look at it in technical uh, categories like engineer of the year, producer of the year for various awards. Those are a bit more uh, grounded in the fact that you are judging it based on what they provide and what their their skills are. Whereas these other ones are, are just, I don't know, they need to revamp how they divvy out who wins uh, and it shouldn't be by how you know or who, how much money you paid them uh, i don't i don't agree with that so that's my thought and uh let me know if you would watch the anna creates awards which are going to be a lot more grassroot um no i don't have an answer to this i've thought about doing an anna creates awards to be honest uh of some description and but I don't know how I would do it and what categories and all this kind of stuff. Cause I think it just needs more diverse categories, more niche categories. You can't just have pop record of the year and that's it because there's so many genres. So it's like record of the year does is so large nowadays that it, it's just kind of almost impossible to know record of the year by sales. Sure. But record of the year is that doesn't work anymore. There's just so many. I, I don't, I personally don't like, let's say, the record of the year. I like something completely different. Frankly, award shows just need to change in general how they're approached and who wins and how people win. Make it less politically who you know motivated. So to me, award shows overrated and overhyped massively frankly i i would i would add the massively tag on that <laughs> all right that is it for this episode that wraps it up now remember you can submit your own questions or things that you find interesting or want me to take a look at for the show or want my opinion on submit all those at anacreates.ca slash podcast you can do audio questions i believe uh there's a link there for audio submission questions and i can listen to them and answer them as well so thanks again for listening and i will catch you in the next one until then always be creating.